All right, so each Sunday this summer, we're going through a different day of creation. Um, we'll be in Genesis all summer long, um, and we're asking one question, basically. And that question is, why did God create the world? What can we learn about our creator through his creation? And essentially, we're answering this by saying he's creating everything for his own glory. The things that we see uh, reflect the personality, the character, the nature of God. Romans 1 says what's been created, in fact, reveals who God is. It reveals his eternal power and his divine nature. So I want to do a little recap of last week. Last week was day one. Uh, we covered the creation of light and its distinction from darkness. So in this watery world that we read about in verse two, uh, the, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, spirit hovering over the face of water, and now there is light. So now we come to day two, and there's this expanse that's created, right? Usually I kind of read through this quickly, uh, read, read day one, that makes sense, there's light. Come to day three, land, dry land, big fan of that, love the mountains. Uh, but I kind of skip through day two a little bit. I read it quickly, I'm like, oh, that's probably sky or something, and just keep moving, right? There's life, there's things past this that I want to get to. Um, so focusing in on this day for me this week was honestly a bit of a struggle. Uh, it really opened my eyes to what God is doing in this day. There's only six days of creation, and so it's important that we really take our time and see the order in which God has created things. So as we look at this, it's not the most clear thing. It says, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So in trying to figure out what this means, uh, I did a lot of research, uh, and I found that there were a few different interpretations. Theologians have done a lot of study and have come up with some different ideas of what this might mean. So we're gonna cover some of these things um, all in the pursuit of truth. All truth is God's truth. We want to find out what God is trying to tell us through this creation. So in these different interpretations, uh, we wanna realize that uh, it's still God speaking. It's still God creating. None of that changes. This is not a science textbook that's supposed to tell us exactly how it all fits together, how it all works, but we know that God created it all. All of these theologians that have come up with different interpretations come to the same conclusion, that God spoke it and it was so. So let's get into these different interpretations. Um, we're gonna start with the expanse. What is this expanse? The Hebrew word for expanse is this word rakia. Rakia has a certain uh, connotation. It means something solid, something uh, impermeable, almost like a blacksmith is hammering out this piece of gold that covers over the earth. Um, and this, this great expanse is holding back something, right? So we see that there's the waters above, the waters below, and there's something solid that's created. Uh, in some of the previous translations, it's been translated firmament, which gives an idea of this solid thing. 
we've translated it in the ESV as expanse, which gives it a bit of a different connotation, um, but it's still a faithful translation of this word, rakia. In other places in scripture, it talks about this solid dome that covers the earth, uh, it calls it uh, a mirror or a dome, um, but it's all giving this idea of something solid. The next thing we look at is this creation, uh, or how, how this creation of the expanse separates waters from the waters. So we know that there are waters somewhere. The spirit is hovering over the face of these waters, and then they're separated by this expanse. So in trying to understand what the waters being separated from the waters means, there's a few different interpretations. The first one is pretty easy and maybe the easiest for us to comprehend. It's just the idea that there's waters that we're familiar with, like the oceans and lakes and rivers. And then there's also the clouds, the atmosphere, right? That contains water. We understand that scientifically. Uh, the second interpretation of this separation of waters from waters uh, is that there is a sea below that we're familiar with, again, and that above this expanse, there is another sea that is being held back by the expanse, by this firmament. The third interpretation is that there was some sort of vapor dome that covered the entire earth when God created it, that there were waters that were pulled up into a dome that covered the earth. Um, some creationists believe that this dome uh, gave the right atmosphere for uh, people to live for very long times. You see the, the great ages of uh, the people in Genesis, and it also uh, created an atmosphere in which dinosaurs were able to live. Um, so all of these different interpretations, right? But they all bring us to the one truth that God created it all, that he created this expanse with his words and that it separated something. So we're gonna come to look at these two different things, the expanse and the waters. That's what we're gonna focus on this morning. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I wanna show how big our God is, how he is the creator, and how we don't quite always understand uh, because he is so much above us, so much greater than us. So my two points this morning are that God is infinite, and we see this as we look at the expanse that he's created, and that God is separate from us. And we see this in what the expanse does as it separates. So again, our God is infinite and our God is separate from us. So let's begin uh, in this idea of the infinite nature of our God. Um, as we look at this description and it says, let there be an expanse, he eventually names this expanse heaven. Um, and then there's these waters that are separated. Um, and these are the two elements that I feel like uh, humanity has always been intrigued by, right? It's the space above us that's untraveled, unchartered. And it's the waters, these oceans that we have that are also unexplored and mysterious to us. So let's start with the waters that are mentioned in the verse. Um, I'm gonna give you a few facts just about our own planet and the waters we have here. Did you know that last year, 212 different freshwater species of fish were discovered? 212 species of freshwater fish. That's an average of four species, new fish, never discovered every single week last year. Never been discovered. 
And that's just fresh water. Think about the great oceans that we have. 80% of our oceans on our own planet have never been chartered, never been explored. And that's on our own planet. The ocean's deepest point is 36,000 feet deep. And that's the, the deepest we've found so far. Put that in perspective. Uh, Mount Everest is 29,000 feet above sea level. So the deepest point we found in the ocean is in fact a greater span than even our tallest mountain above the sea. And that's on our own planet. That's not space. Think about this space. Um, I'd like to start uh, with a, a quote from Star Trek. And I know what you're thinking. Didn't he talk about Star Trek last week? That was Star Wars. This is completely different. Completely different. So if you've ever seen a Star Trek episode, it starts, every single uh, episode starts with this quote. And the quote is, space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Star Trek, or the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. So in this sci-fi world, they're traveling through space, and every episode you find some new alien, some new adventure, something undiscovered. But in reality, it's much less traveled. We haven't even made it to the nearest planet with humans. Now, we've sent these probes out into space. Uh, we've sent robots that are uh, looking at rocks on Mars. We have great pictures of our solar system but we don't really know what's out there. So naturally, to discover what was out there, I looked at Wikipedia, our most trusted source, and I found a few uh, very, very interesting facts. They had uh, some solid numbers to look at. One was the size of our universe. They had a number for that. They have a number for the density of our universe, its age. They have uh, a list of the contents of our universe. But as I looked more closely at the, uh, the Wikipedia entry, I noticed that the heading said the observable universe. And I thought that was very interesting. It's already assuming, the scientists who are writing Wikipedia are already assuming that there is something greater, something unobservable about our universe that we can't even put a number on. So as we look at Oh, there was one more point. Uh, in 1977, we sent out uh, these, these space probes uh, called Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. That was 45 years ago, and now they're 14 billion miles away from where they took off. Um, they're still going, and there's no end in sight. Uh, one interesting fact that puts that in perspective is that our nearest sun, that, uh, our nearest star that is not the sun, is in fact 25 trillion miles away. If you were on the fastest manned starship that we've ever sent out, it would take you 115,000 years to get to the nearest star. 115,000 years. Our universe is impossibly big. It's inexhaustible, in incalculable, and it is unobservable. So if we go back to Genesis and we look at this expanse that God has created and see how he's created it simply with his words, just with speaking, 
I love this short sentence and it just says, it was so. And that's how our God creates these things that we can't explore, we can't comprehend, we can't put a number on. So who is this creator? Romans 1.20 says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been, in, have been made. So in the earthly waters that we haven't discovered, in the great space above us, are you starting to see the greatness of our God, the creator who made all of these things that we can't even measure? Are you starting to perceive his divine nature and his eternal glory? But we don't just see who our God is, but we see who he is, what he is like. His personality, his character is displayed. God's attributes extend into the unknown and their limits are not observable to us. Um, one book that my son Silas really loves to read is the book, Guess How Much I Love You. It tells this story of these two rabbits that are trying to compete with one another, tell each other how much they love one another. And they use distances uh, to, to explain it to one another. They say, I love you all the way down to my toes, or I love you up the tree and back. Um, but at the very end, they use this idea of the moon. I love you to the moon and back. Well, that's 477,800 miles. That's to the moon and back. That's pretty cute, right? But Psalm 36, 36 says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Think about that. It extends way past what we can see. It's unobservable how far the love of our God has for us, his created. Psalm 36 continues, says, your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. And scripture is full of these visual examples. I loved what Scott read as the, uh, the prayer of adoration this morning, just talking about the heavens that are declaring who God is to us, his created over and over again. All we have to do is look up, start exploring what he's created for us. We start to get an idea of who this creator truly is for us, his created. But if all of this is just numbers, if we can uh, just put a number on these things, then it's all conceptual. If we just think, oh yes, God loves us, a lot. It doesn't really hit us in a personal way. If we think that, well, 80% of the ocean is completely unexplored, what does that mean for God's love for us? If, if it's compared to the depths of the sea, well, it's, it's, it's not really explored unless we experience it. God wants to be in a personal relationship with us to experience the love that he has for us. It can't just be head knowledge. It has to be relational, experiential. He wants you to dive in and swim around in his love. He wants you to explore who he is in scripture, in prayer, in meditation on who he is. I'd like to read from Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 that expresses this desire uh, for God's people uh, to understand how much God loves us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So how is this possible? As Paul prays this over the church, how can we know this love that surpasses knowledge? Well, he later writes in Corinthians that it's God's spirit that he puts within us, that God has literally come down through the heavens to be with us and lives inside of us. And that is how we can experience God's love for us. It's the spirits working in us to give us understanding who he is and what he's done for us. It's God's spirit that gives us faith to believe in him. It's God's spirit that reveals us his word. It's God's spirit working in each one of us, giving us unique gifts to serve one another. It's God's spirit that we find in Genesis 1 hovering over the deep. He's plumbing the depths of who God is, plumbing the depths of God's character for our sake to give us an understanding of God's love for us. And when we understand that, it transforms who we are. When we sit and meditate on creation, when we think about the heights and the depths of God's love for us, it should transform us. Do you set limits on who God is? Do you have a finite number of how many times you can ask for forgiveness? Have you put parameters on our God who is actually incalculable, unmeasurable, unobservable? Do you know that God showed his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? When we start to see the greatness of God's love acted out, that's how we start to understand who he is. When we sit by the ocean, consider the size of the heavens. When we observe creation and invite the spirit into our hearts, then we see the boundless love of our creator. How else do we limit our God, our boundless God? Do we make plans? I know I do. I make plans thinking, well, this is probably the best way to do it, God. This is the way you want us to act, right? This is the best way forward. Are you putting God in a box? Are you putting a number on him? Are you limiting what he can do? I invite you to have a greater view of who God is by observing his creation and trust in him, knowing that he is greater than us. So after this creation of the expanse, he gives this expanse purpose. If you look back at Genesis 1 in verse 7, well, I guess in verse 6 it also says, it let it separate the waters from the waters. So this idea of separation that we come to. Uh, again, we remember the, the different interpretations of this separation of waters from waters, but this conclusion uh, that it expresses that God is separate, um, separate from his creation. He is God and we are the created. 
So as we understand um, this separation, I want you to imagine you're at the beach. A lot of you this summer have already been there or are making plans to go to the beach. Uh, I got the opportunity about a month ago to be there and you just sit on the shore and look out at the horizon and there's this line out in the distance, this unmeasurable sky coming down and meeting the depths right there in a perfect, solid, clear, distinct line. I think God gives us the horizon as an example, uh, this visual picture of how distinct he has made himself from creation. Um, this separation I've divided into two parts. I think that there is a positive separation we have from God and a negative separation we have from God. Um, usually when we think about separation, there's a negative connotation, right? Separation is not typically a good thing. We want to think about unity or together. Um, but I think that there's a, a positive separation that we can draw from this. And that's just remembering who God is as the creator. Um, there are different attributes. Uh, if you've studied theology, the theology of God, there are two different categories of attributes that we find. The first is communicable attributes, and the second is incommunicable attributes. And that just simply means that there are certain things that make God who he is because nothing else is like God. And there are things that he also shares with us, these communicable attributes, um, that we also, uh, we, you know, we're made in God's image. We'll find out more about that on day six. Um, but there are these different things that make us not like our creator or in fact make him very distinct uh, from his creation. Um, and throughout uh, the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, there's always this, this issue of uh, the crea uh, people looking at creation as uh, something to be worshipped, right? In uh, Romans 1, it talks about uh, ex exchanging the glory of the creator with something that's created. We see in Exodus how the people so quickly forgotten started worshiping this golden calf. Um, but all of these things uh, that have to be corrected uh, still point us to the creator. As we look at creation, uh, we realize it's not the creation that's to be worshiped. It's in fact our God. He is the creator, and we are the created. He is the savior, and we are just sinners. He is the good shepherd, and we are wandering sheep. And so how do we respond to this separation, this positive separation, but in awe and worship of our God? We should have a healthy sense of fear of who God is, that he is something other than us. He does not have the flaws that we have. He is perfect. But that brings us to the negative separation. In Genesis 2, we read about Adam and Eve and how they were created and how they walked with the Lord. God created this garden for them uh, to be with him. They walked with God. They talked with God intimately and freely but in Genesis 3, that all changed. As creation rebelled and shattered this relationship that they had with God, there was a separation. This separation uh, comes from um, 
God's perfect, perfect nature, his holiness, that he is separate, he is set apart. God calls us to be holy. He calls us to be perfect. Jesus says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. But we can't do that, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, therefore putting a separation between us and God, only a separation that God himself could reconcile. Paul in Romans and Ephesians explains that the separation uh, means our death. It's a consequence of our sin. An eternal separation from God where we're under his wrath. The nature of this separation, just like the visible horizon, uh, is also seen in scripture in the temple. They had a veil that would stop people from going into the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt. It was this visual representation of the separation between man and God. And only once a year, the high priest could go in past this curtain. He would have to bathe, he would have to change his clothes and make multiple sacrifices, both for the people and for himself. And bringing incense in, he would just pray that he would not die in God's presence because of his holiness just radiating. Blood had to be spilled to enter into God's presence. The only one who could do that was God himself to reconcile this separation. And we see that in the life and death of Christ our Savior. As Christ hung on the cross, he separates, he tears this curtain, he, he heals the brokenness and lets us draw close to the throne of God. He takes on the consequences of the separation that we incurred. He takes the sin upon himself and we see this separation happening to him while he's on the cross as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he experiences this death, he breathes life into us and draws us back to the Father as it was intended in Genesis 2. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, since then we have a, high, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens through the separation. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, I invite you to rely on Christ who has bridged the gap, who has destroyed the separation and drawn us back to God the Father because it's only in him that we can live. It's only in him that we can be reconciled back to our Father. So what do we do then with with all of this. I'd like to bring you to the story of Job. I believe that Job gives us a good picture of how to respond um, to, to what our God has done for us. If you remember this story of Job, 
uh, he's this man of faith. And Satan brings Job to God's attention and God allows Job to be tested by the devil. And in the first few chapters, you read that Job has lost everything, all the good gifts that God has given him for the sake of testing to see if his faith is truly in God. His friends come alongside, but they end up not being any help and giving no good advice. And Job ends up in despair. He feels consumed with his self-righteous thoughts, thinking that surely I was good enough not to deserve this. But then he has a good friend who reminds him who God is. And then God, in fact, comes and speaks directly to Job and confronts him. Job is interviewed by the Lord, and he is asked all these questions. There's verse after verse, chapter after chapter, of God asking Job these impossible questions. Uh, in chapter 38, verse 16, He asks questions like, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? He goes through and asks, where were you when these things were created? He walks through creation again and says, were you even here? Do you realize how big I am, how great I am, how separate you are from me, your God? Job has two responses that I'd like to highlight. The first one is in chapter 14, excuse me, chapter 40, verses four and five. It says, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. So the first response we see of Job is silence before the Lord. The second response is in chapter 42, verses 2 through 6. Job again answers the Lord after all these questionings. says, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So the second response that we see Job give is that of confession and repentance. So as we observe creation, as we read through Genesis 1 and each day, take a little piece of what God has created to observe who he is, his divine attributes, his eternal power. I want us to think about this response that we have. And I think it would be good for us to spend time meditating in silence before the Lord, thinking about who he is because of the great expanse, the unobservable nature of our God but also because of this separation, we need to acknowledge our sin of who we are, our brokenness before him, and come like Job did with confession and repentance. The psalmist invites us to be still and know that he is God. 
So let's sit before our God and worship him. Let's observe his creation and give him glory. Let's be overwhelmed by his great power and confess and repent of the things that have separated us from our Father. But also let's rejoice in the one who has taken on our punishment and rejoined us to our Father, has destroyed this separation from him so that we could be welcomed back into our Father's open arms. So let's just take a minute now and be silent before the Lord as we reflect on his nature.